Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. I know some things. I know that the Philadelphia Eagles are the Super Bowl champions. I know that the college basketball sport now takes center stage now that the NFL season is officially over. And I know that we are a little over a month away from Selection Sunday and the beginning of the best time of year, March Madness. Welcome back to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Mike Randall here with you solo today. Gus and I are going to come back with our weekend breakdown and our preview of the week tomorrow night. But after the Super Bowl, I want to come down and share a few things with you myself. See, I know a few things. I know a few things about college basketball. We've been watching it every day, Gus and I, the entire year, breaking it down, giving you podcasts, writing about it on RandallRant.com, tweeting it out daily, hourly. And I have a few things that I know for sure, and I want to share them with you tonight. First thing I know, the Seton Hall Pirates are going nowhere, folks. The Seton Hall Pirates came in with mighty expectations this year in the Big East. Senior-laden team, Angel Delgado, Desi Rodriguez, Kadeem Carrington, Miles Powell, now a sophomore. The Four Horsemen, I called them, pretty much the entire year. Many thought they could challenge Villanova for the top spot in the Big East. They were predicted second in the preseason poll. Many, many great college basketball analysts on social media predicted that they would, in fact, not only win the conference, but make the Final Four. I've seen enough. Seton Hall's going nowhere this year. There's going to be no Big East regular season title. That's obvious. No Big East Conference Tournament title, no Final Four, nothing. It's going to be a huge disappointment for Coach Kevin Willard, the Seton Hall Pirates, and their fans. Let's recap this season, folks, because really it comes down to three warning signs. And I've been very critical of Coach Willard, very critical of the Seton Hall program. But I've watched these warning signs, and I've put them in the back of my mind. And now it's time to share them with you, because you're getting ready to fill out your brackets. You're getting ready to sort of line up who's going to make a run in March. So these are things you need to know as you prepare for the upcoming NCAA tournament. Three warning signs. Let's start. Seton Hall started the year with four relatively nondescript wins before a brutal home loss to Rhode Island on November 23rd in the NIT season tip-off. Now you're going to say, why is this brutal, Mike? Rhode Island's 19-3. Rhode Island's 11-0 in the A-10. It's brutal because 10 days earlier before that game out in Nevada, The Rams lost their senior guard, E.C. Matthews, to a broken hand. E.C. Matthews, preseason first team, all A-10. He was gone just like that. Leaving the Rams with one double-digit score, Jared Terrell. So here's Seton Hall, four games in a row, the 4-0. Here come their first real test, right? At home, senior-laden team against a shorthanded Rhode Island team. What happened was a 75-74 home loss and senior guard, Jared Terrell delivered the game winner to cap a 32-point day. Explain to me how on earth Seton Hall, at home, allows the only other player who's averaging double digits for Rhode Island to score 32 points and hit the game winner. That was brutal. That was a horrific loss. That was warning sign number one. Then comes Seton Hall's best stretch of the season. They won five games in a row. Biggest win of the year was an 89-79 win over then number 22 Texas Tech at MSG. When Texas Tech had their full team, they had Zach Smith. They had their full team. Seton Hall with a huge win in Madison Square Garden. Then they went down and won at Louisville. Now, Louisville was ranked number 17 at the time. And I told you Louisville was going to fall out of top 25 and never come back. Because coaching matters. No Rick Pitino, David Padgett's first year. So they follow up the win over Texas Tech by going down to beat Louisville at Louisville 
79-77. Everyone thought here comes Seton Hall. Back-to-back ranked wins. Well, here's the problem. You got Texas Tech. That was a nice win. But you beat a Louisville team that really shouldn't have been ranked. So that misled all of us. Then they follow that up with a win over VCU. The Pirates were 9-1 at that point, heading into an intrastate game at Rutgers. Problem at the Rutgers game? They blew a nine-point lead with under six minutes left. This is to a Rutgers team that right now, folks, is 12-13 and 2-10, and and last place in the Big Ten. Losing road games. Everybody loses a road game, right? This is the year, 2017-2018. Everybody loses a road game. But blowing a nine-point lead to Rutgers with under six minutes left when you have seniors? Awful. Just awful. That was warning sign number two. After that, Seton Hall recovered. They won another five in a row. They beat Creighton at home. And then a huge win at Butler 90-87. And that's another one that fooled all of us, myself included. Besides the Texas Tech, that was the next biggest win. They were down 11 and they rallied back on the road in Butler. After Butler had beaten Villanova. Angel Delgado was the monster that he is. It's going to be a first-round pick. It's going to be great in the NBA. 28 points, 15 rebounds. Clearly, Angel Delgado is the go-to guy for Seton Hall. He's the alpha dog. It's not Desi Rodriguez. It's not Kadeem Carrington. But we'll get to that in a minute. Miles Powell had the flu that game. He came off the bench. And again, we're teased again. Here's Seton Hall. All this talent winning on the road at Butler with Miles Powell having the flu. Next game, they go on the road at Marquette. What happens? Blown out by 20 points. 84-64. Let me ask you this. Villanova found a way to win at Marquette without Phil Booth. Xavier found a way to win at Marquette. Butler found a way to win at Marquette. By 20, by the way. And Providence found a way to win at Marquette. Seton Hall loses by 20. Since that game, let's go game by game. Watch what Seton Hall's done since that game. Beat Georgetown at home, 74-61. Congratulations. Blown out at Creighton, 80-63. That's what starting forward Martin Crampell, only playing 13 minutes after Chinese ACL. He was a double-digit scorer. So they lose a double-digit score, Creighton does, and they still blow out Seton Hall. They lost at home to Xavier, 73-64, allowing J.P. McCura to score 27 points this year. It's a season high. The issue, of course, is McCura is not exactly a top pick for an N1 mixtape tour, huh? Not exactly known for his one-on-one prowess, but he baffled the Pirates that day. Then they went at DePaul, home Providence, and then they have a golden opportunity to get the ship righted. Here comes their chance. Noon on Super Bowl Sunday. No one's really paying attention. They can play a Villanova team without Phil Booth with no bench whatsoever. They play a horrific second half and lose today, 93-76. So right now, here are your biggie standings. Villanova, Xavier half game behind, Creighton, Butler, Seton Hall tied with Providence. Give me a break. Last warning sign, the team is in disarray, internal disarray. Kevin Willard suspended Ishinogo indefinitely for, quote, really bad judgments back in December. Yet he returned after one game, after the seniors made a plea to Coach Willard. Really? Really? Who's running the team here? The coach or the players? That's not leadership. You don't let your seniors talk you out of a suspension. If it really was that big a deal, talk to them before you decide to suspend him. But don't make a decision and then backtrack because you look weak. Then in the loss of Creighton, Willard had a bench. Desi Rodriguez, six minutes into the game. So Crampell goes out with an injury. Here's their chance. And he benches Desi Rodriguez. His response was, quote, he's been playing so well so many minutes that he had that look on his face where he just didn't want to be out there. When he gets that way, you just kind of let him regroup and refocus. And it just never happened. He's done an unbelievable job when you're playing the minutes he's played. Sometimes mentally, you just don't have it. Really? 
one of your best players, your seniors, in a year that people are talking about a Final Four, in a key road game at Creighton, you sit him six minutes in? When they asked Desi about this, his response was to laugh. He tweeted, Ha ha, really funny. Why wouldn't I want to be out there battling with my guys? I love these dudes. They're my brothers. We'll, we will just be fine. Trust me. Really. So let's see. Kevin Willard suspends Sonogo, then gives in to the players. Then he sits Desi Rodriguez, who, by the way, is the leading scorer on the team, after six minutes and loses a road game at Creighton. Really. How bad could things be? Think this through if you're a Division I coach. Your leading scorer, who's a senior, is averaging 17 points per game. You sit him six minutes in and never put him back in. In a vital road game. You tell me everything's okay? That's warning sign number three. And those three warning signs have me concluding that Seton Hall's going nowhere. Don't get fooled. If you see him in a matchup in the first round of the NCAA tournament, I go the other way. If the other team has any semblance of talent. Remember last year with the tripping incident with Grayson Allen? How'd that work out for Duke? Second round loss to South Carolina. This karma doesn't work, folks. Last year, Duke had it all. Everybody thought they were going to make a run. Grayson Allen, problem. This year, Desi Rodriguez benched after six minutes against Creighton. Is Shinogo suspended for, quote, really bad judgments? Back on the team one, one game later. Will Seton Hall win the regular season title? Nope. Are they going to make a magical run in the Big East tournament? I guess it's possible, like they did in 2016. But in that miracle year, how'd they do in the NCAA tournament? 16-point blowout loss to 11-seeded playing game winner Gonzaga. You want stats? Here's where people are going to get fooled. Seton Hall's 36 in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency as per Kempom. That's very good. The 37th in adjusted defense. That's solid. Here's the problem. Turn the ball over. 19.3 turnovers per game. Folks, that puts them behind Detroit, Utah Valley, Holy Cross, and Sacramento State. Remember how everybody talks about Michigan State's turnovers, how bad those are, right? They're only at 20.2. That's less than a turnover behind Seton Hall. No one's talking about Seton Hall. Last thing, the coaching. I'm not a Kevin Willer guy. I just don't think he's the right fit here. He was in trouble. He was losing his job. Then they won that Big East tournament, that Magic Carpet ride. Followed it up with the loss to Gonzaga. But that got him to stay on. There's no structure. Today's game against Villanova was a perfect example. On the road, in what could have been a season-defining win, Seton Hall had a great first half. They played fantastic. They're down only four at halftime, 41-37. Angel Delgado was dominating. 10.6 rebounds. They couldn't stop him, even though Spellman was having a great game for Villanova. At the 16-12 mark of the second half, the Pirates went up 3-48-45. From the 17-52 mark, so about a minute before then, until the 9-50 mark of the second half, folks, that's over eight minutes. Almost half the second half. Number of Angel Delgado field goal attempts, zero. Nada. Zilch. Biggest game of the year. Would have been the biggest win of the year on the road at Villanova with a senior-laden team and your best player who carried you at Butler, who played great down the stretch against Texas Tech. Nowhere to be found. And he was angry. You could tell. He was frustrated. Well, that went from a Seton Hall three-point lead to a Seton Hall eight-point deficit in that time period. Just awful. So let's summarize. Seton Hall has clearly underperformed all season, as per preseason expectations. They're currently tied for fifth in the Big East after a preseason ranking of second. The issues between Willard and Desi Rodriguez, changing his mind on Ishtonogo, suspension because of the player's plea, is certainly a negative. They have no bench. No one comes off the bench. They turn the ball over a ton. They don't get Delgado the ball in big-time situations. Their point guard, Kadeen Carrington, who's totally unselfish, is playing out of position. And he was a tremendous scorer last year. They have great numbers. They're 18th in the RPI. I said top 40 in adjusted offense and defense. But for my money, they're not going anywhere fast. Not this season. I'm done with Seton Hall. Don't put them in your Final Four. Don't put them in your Elite Eight. I'm done. It's not like they can rely on a great coach. 
It's not like they're taking care of the ball. It's not like they have a bench. It's not like they have tremendous chemistry. They all want to win. We want to win. I want a million dollars. Patriots want to win tonight. Doesn't mean anything. No bench. Turn the ball over. Not a great coach. Underperformed. No thank you. Seton Hall. I'm done with them. Second thing I know, folks, St. Mary's is beating Gonzaga on Saturday night. They're going to sweep them this year in the regular season, and it won't be particularly close. For listeners of this podcast, you guys know St. Mary's Gonzaga is always a big deal here. My partner Gus, a huge Gonzaga guy, and he correctly predicted them preseason to the Final Four last year. I predicted St. Mary's last year to the Final Four. We battle all year long. We always believe the other person was wrong. And it turned out was Gus was right on the money. St. Mary's played Gonzaga twice in the regular season. They lost to them both times. Jock Landell, who I thought would dominate, got in foul trouble both games, and Gonzaga ran away. They not only beat him in the regular season, they met in the West Coast Conference Finals. Beat him there, 74-56. Non-competitive games. So my thought was, if they're not going to do it last year, when it seemed like they had the advantage, when are they going to do it? So I jumped on the Gonzaga bandwagon this year with Gus. All in, waving the pom-poms. Head into that January 18th game when Gonzaga hosted St. Mary's. I said there was no chance. Spread was like seven, seven and a half. No chance St. Mary's is covering that game, let alone winning. It was laughable because this season in the West Coast Conference preseason poll, every coach predicted St. Mary's to win. The only person who didn't was Gales coach Randy Bennett because you can't vote for your own team. So what happened in that game on January 18th? St. Mary's shot eight of 13, 61.5% from three-point range. Gonzaga shot only 6 of 22, 27% from three-point range, and the Gales shocked the Bulldogs at the Kennel Club, 74-71. So now we have the rematch this Saturday. McKeon Pavilion, 7 p.m. Pacific Coast time, 10 p.m. East Coast time. Folks, I've watched Gonzaga multiple times this year. And you know what? Their little WCC run is officially over. There's no way, absolutely no chance they're winning at St. Mary's on Saturday night. And the reason is really very simple. Last year, Gonzaga was the number one overall rated team in adjusted defensive efficiency in Ken Palm. Numero uno. Against the three-point shot, they only allowed 29% made three-pointers per game. That was number two in the entire country. Not only did they defend at the highest level, they defended the three-pointer. So crucial at the highest level. Their leading scorer was Nigel Williams-Goss. And boy, was he massively underappreciated. He led Gonzaga 16.8 points per game. He shot 87% from the foul line, 37% from three. Even more incredible, he was second on the team with six rebounds, just behind Jonathan Williams, by the way, and led the team with 4.7 assists. Inside, they had Big Shem. Shem Karnowski, right? Gus's favorite. 12.2 points per game, 5.8 rebounds per game. Their third leading scorer, Jordan Matthews. 10.6 points per game senior and 40% for Jordan Matthews in three-point range. Hit a big three against West Virginia in the tournament to stave off that upset. I want to finish it off. They also had seven-footer Zach Collins coming off the bench. He came in when Shemek got in foul trouble or got tired, and he dominated inside. He was a top 15 NBA draft pick coming off the bench. So how did we not see this coming? How did Gus and I understand that they're going to lose so much from their team, their top three scores, their point guard, and a top 15 NBA draft pick? and still win the West Coast Conference. They're not going to, and they can't. Where are they this year? They are 34th in adjusted defensive efficiency. Not bad, not a big drop-off, but here's the key. They rank 251st in defending the three-point shot. Gonzaga, 251st. They're allowing 36.5% from beyond the arc. That's atrocious. 
individually on offense and very sporadic. They don't shoot the three well, only 105th in the country. They were 42nd last year, so it's a bit of a drop-off. Their point guard situation is much worse. Josh Perkins has not been good. He's been up and down. He's been bad at the end of games. Gus talked about this. And simply, he's not even close to as efficient as Williams Goswitz. Their leading scorer, Jonathan Williams. Does Jonathan Williams actually have an offensive move? Are we sure? Can only go left, really. And his best offensive move is the bull in the china shop routine, which is not going to work against St. Mary's and didn't in the first game. He's very sporadic as well. No rebounds in an early season loss against Villanova. Very up and down. Sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. In fact, he usually struggles against bigger players. The star, and I mean star for Gonzaga, is sophomore forward Ruri Hashimura. He's fantastic. He's been outstanding, but he will not be enough on Saturday. St. Mary's been on fire. They're 23-2 overall, undefeated in the West Coast Conference, and they won 18 games in a row. Senior center Jock Landell has been incredible. Listen, I have gotten on him, called him Hackman, always in foul trouble. Didn't live up to my expectations last year. This year, he's doing that and then some. He's playing at a first-team All-American level. That's right. I said that. Did I just really say that? I think I did. First-team All-American level for Hackman. 22.8 points per game, 10.8 rebounds, 2 assists, and 66% from the field. You know what 6 is? That's the number of 30-point games he's had this year. 6! How'd he do at Gonzaga in that first game? 26 points, 12 rebounds, 12 of 15 from the field. They had no answer. Jonathan Williams was undersized and he looked lost. You can't double him. Gonzaga can't do that. You know why? Because St. Mary's is shooting 42% from three-point range. That's fifth in the country overall. Fifth! Calvin Hermanson, Emmett Nard, Jordan Ford, Tanner Krebs, and Evan Fitzner all are shooting over 40% from three-point range. So listen, we'll talk about this game later in the week. St. Mary's is going to win the regular season. St. Mary's is going to win the West Coast Conference Tournament. Now, when you get to the NCAA tournament, you got to play defense. We talked about that in the podcast last week. And St. Mary's really isn't doing that. Last year, they actually played good defense. This year, not so much. But depending on the draw, in a flawed year, they could make a run. And I know one thing for sure. They're not losing to Gonzaga. Not this year. So Saturday night, Gales will sweep the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And the last thing I know is that this NCAA tournament, the 2018 NCAA tournament, is the best chance we've ever seen since it went to 64 teams back in 1985, of a 16-seed upsetting a one-seed. Now, if you talk to people about this, they're going to say, yeah, I really don't see it. Or they're going to say, no, why? Because who would predict a 16 beating one? It's never happened. You're trying to predict something that has never happened. It's idiotic. But we've never seen a college basketball season more wide open and inconsistent than this one. But of course, that's silly, right? Because... I highly doubt in 1991, when two-seeded Syracuse lost to Richmond, people saw that happening. 1993, when Santa Clara with Steve Nash upset Arizona, nobody saw that coming. Probably didn't see Coppin State in 1997 being number two-seeded South Carolina, or 15-seeded Hampton being number two Iowa State in 2001. Or how about 2012, when two two-seeds, Duke, And Missouri went down. Duke to Lehigh, Missouri to Norfolk State. A lot of people saw Norfolk State winning, right? Then 2013, Florida Gulf Coast. Dunk City, right? Beat Georgetown. And then Giddy Potts. Middle Tennessee State pulled the greatest upset in the history of the NCAA tournament, 2016, over Michigan State. Now, Michigan State was a two-seed, but did you know going into that tournament, Michigan State had the absolute best odds to win the tournament. So in essence, you could argue Middle Tennessee State beat the best team in the tournament in the first round. So all this adds up to a 16 will be to one, and it will happen. You know that, and I know that. 
and this year is the best chance we've had in a long, long time. Why is that? Very simple. The top teams are all flawed. Let's take a look. Right now, your three number one seeds, Villanova, Virginia, Purdue, those are locks. And the fourth one is wide open. Now, looking at them individually, Villanova probably safest. They have everything you would want from a secure first round, avoiding the low seed, 16 seed upset. They have veteran players. They have a great point guard. They have a big man inside. Amari Spellman's really coming along. They have a great guy off the bench, Dante DiVincenzo, who's starting now. But when Phil Booth comes out back, he'll go back off the bench. Great coach in Jay Wright. They've won a national title. Some of the players there have even won that national title two years ago. So they're about as secure as you're going to get. Next, Virginia. Now look, Virginia's defense has been incredible. Suffocating. Unbelievable. But would you really, really be shocked after seeing this team get destroyed by Florida last year? Destroyed. And see this team, the history of Virginia, getting upset by Malachi Richardson and the Syracuse 10-seeded Orangemen when they were one game away from the Final Four? Would you be shocked if Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy just were off that day and Jack Salt didn't really dominate inside like he never does? Unlikely, because they play superior defense. Unlikely, but I wouldn't say crazy. Purdue, also been very, very solid. Almost as solid as Villanova. They got Isaac Haas inside, has been great. Carson Edwards, Vince Edwards, seniors. Not sure about Mac Painter in a big spot. Not sure about Matt Painter, but they're pretty secure unless they're not shooting their threes. If they don't shoot their threes well, remember, they lost to Western Kentucky earlier this year. Western Kentucky has a very 16-ish seed feel, right? And here's the real issue, folks. There's never been a more vulnerable one seed than whoever grabs this last one seed in this NCAA tournament. People used to rip on Gonzaga about being a weak one seed. In fact, you remember back to 2012-2013, Gonzaga went against Southern. They were undefeated in the West Coast Conference. They won the West Coast Conference Tournament. They were 32-3. and Then they went against a Southern team that gave them all you could handle. And that was the most vulnerable one I've seen in a long time. But they pulled it out by six because they had a Linux inside. Then they went on Wichita State and lost the Shockers 76-70 as the Shockers went all the way to the Final Four. So that's probably the most vulnerable seed, at least the most vulnerable seed that most people thought in a long time. But that'll be different this year. Look at the teams who could grab that fourth number one seed. Michigan State, over 20 turnovers a game. A lot of bad karma going on right now, Michigan State. Certainly hasn't been consistent. Miles Bridges has not played anywhere near what I thought he would. Don't have a great point guard. A lot of question marks, Michigan State. Next, Duke. Duke just lost to St. John's, who didn't have a win in the Big East. What else is there to say? They have no bench. Grayson Allen's been a shell of his former self. Trayvon Duvall has not been a great point guard. Not distributing, not setting up his teammates. He's a scorer who's struggling to be a point guard. They are really missing a solid point guard, 100%. Remember when they won that title against Wisconsin? Tyus Jones went on that incredible streak. Remember that? Duke needs a point guard, and they don't have one, and they have no bench. Nobody scores off the bench. Marcus Bolden at four points the other day. It's like a scoring bonanza for them. They have question marks. Xavier. Xavier very up and down. Lose to Georgetown at home, basically. Saved by Trevon Blewett, four-point play? Really? Very shaky, Xavier. Never know what you're going to get out of them. And there's always that, they made their run last year. Can they really repeat it? If they made the one seed line, they would be very, very vulnerable in the first round. Kansas? What else is there to say? They've lost four home games. I know you're not going to count the Kansas City one. That means they've lost three home games and two in conference. First time since 1998. Lost to Arizona State. Lost to Washington at home. Blown out, really, for most of the game by Oklahoma State. And lost to Texas Tech. They're vulnerable. 
Cincinnati, very quietly, 19-2. and two. You know I love Mick Cronin. You know I love what the Bearcats do. But the Bearcats really haven't been tested yet, and they certainly do struggle on offense. There is no one go-to guy, and that's dangerous when you're in the first round. And Cincinnati's had some troubles before. Lost to Harvard that first round. Sean Kilpatrick team. So Mick Cronin, as much as I love him, wouldn't say his pedigree in the tournament's that great. Arizona, we're waiting for Arizona to come around. But gosh, they seem like such a tenuous Jenga puzzle. No Rolly Alkins, they slip up. Go on the road, DeAndre Ayton, not great, they slip up. Alonzo Trier, just not taking over games like we thought he would. Early in the year, he's on fire. 30-point games, multiple 30-point games. He's cooled off. Sean Miller saying, I, I can't reach this team. Is that really supposed to be a super secure number one seed if they get it? Anyone else? Texas Tech, West Virginia, five losses? No way. So this season, there could be a middle Tennessee state. There could be a one seed that loses. The one seeds have never been more vulnerable. And in particular, whoever grabs that last one seed is going to be the most tenuous that we've seen. Even more so than the Gonzaga team of 2012-2013 that went undefeated in conference and won their tournament. That's dominance. You will have a one seed that is not dominant this year. Be careful. The next city pots is right around the corner. So there you go, folks. My three things I know. Seton Hall's done. St. Mary's is absolutely being a dag on Saturday. And this is the best chance we've ever had for a 16 seed to beat a one. If you like what you hear, folks, we'd love a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Screen the screen of College Basketball Podcast. Visit RandallRant.com. We got Top 25 up there. We got my short corner that comes out every week. All the podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at SDS Podcast. Myself at Randall Rant. Gus at Kearns 12 Spread the word. Pass it on. The NFL season has ended. College basketball is center stage. And March Madness is right around the corner. Those are the three things I know. We'll be back tomorrow night. Gus and I will talk about the weekend and preview the week coming up. We'll see you, folks.